Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. Thank you for joining me for another episode of my show. If this is your first time here, please feel free to hit that subscribe button. And for those who are already subscribed, thank you so much for being a part of my podcast. Now for today's episode, we're talking about what is happening with Amazon workers in Alabama. And so first I'm gonna take you into what exactly some of the background information is on this topic, why this is happening and at the very end why you should care because i'm sure this probably wasn't the title you were expecting when you got the notification for the new episode today so before we get started let me just say that i might have used the most sources that i've ever used for any particular episode for this episode so the sources for today's episode include vice uh vox PBS, CNBC, CBS, The New York Times, The Intelligencer, The Economic Policy Institute, uh, independent uh, journalist Max Alvarez, and Democracy Now! I used information from all of these places to bring you this episode. And so, you know, before we dive into any of that, the first thing I want to say is that if you are listening to this episode after April 1st, uh, please do not skip over our break this episode. I'm hoping that you never skip over our break, but especially not this episode because we have a special sponsor for this week. And so I would like you all to listen to what they have to say during our break. So be on the lookout for that. So let's start with some basics. What is going on? First of all, there are around 5,800 Amazon workers who are planning to vote whether or not to join the retail, wholesale, or department store union. Now, these workers are based out of Bessemer, Alabama, and 85% of these workers are Black workers. Most of them are women, and they are trying to organize to become the first um, unionized members who are employed at Amazon. So for those of you who are not sure what some of these things mean, because I know that I sometimes understand these things in general, but sometimes you need a little bit more specifics. Let me just break down exactly what we're talking about here. A labor union is an organized association of workers, often in a trade or profession, formed to protect and further the rights uh, or interests of the of the members involved. Typically, what we're talking about here is that unions are usually enter into a process called collective bargaining, where the union will negotiate on the behalf of its members, the employees, with the employer to create a contract that they both have to adhere to. And in this contract, they negotiate pay, benefits, hours, workplace safety severance, healthcare, family leave, company transparency. So these are very important things that obviously 
most workers would like to have a say in, but typically, you know, when there's not a union involved, it's a take it or leave it kind of a contract, a contract of adhesion rather, where you basically show up to a job and the employer tells you, this is what it is, take it or leave it. With a union, you can actually negotiate some of these things. And so this is the largest union effort that has ever been seen by Amazon. And, you know, according to, you know, sources from Vox, Amazon's headquarters is treating this like a crisis. And while this might not be getting as much national attention as I think it deserves, it definitely is garnering some attention. The likes of Marco Rubio, a senator, Republican from Florida, and Bernie Sanders have both gone down to Alabama, as well as a host of other people, to show their support for these workers. And so let's just get a little bit more background information, because the first thing that you really need to know is this is not the first time that workers at Amazon have tried to unionize. In fact, this happened previously, just a few years ago, up in Chester, Virginia, or down in Chester, Virginia, depending on where you're at in the country right now. Now, these workers, you know, tried to unionize these, they were machinists. And they were told, if you vote to form a union, every one of you will be looking for a new job tomorrow. Now, at another meeting, outspoken union members were described as, quote, a cancer and a disease to Amazon and the facility, unquote. Now, this effort ultimately failed because the employees at this Chester, Virginia, Amazon Center ended up getting scared that they might lose their jobs. Now, you know, if you're wondering if it's legal for employers to scare their employees, you know, into, hey, if you unionize, we'll take, we'll get rid of your job. It is. It is absolutely illegal. They are not supposed to be allowed to do this, but routinely this happens all over the place and nothing ever comes of it. In fact, there's a similar story of Volkswagen workers trying to unionize in Tennessee and they were told by state officials, like state, just like Congress people, legislators, that if they voted to unionize over there in Tennessee, that the plant would shut down. So this really isn't just an Amazon thing. This is unfortunately happening all over the place. But, you know, what ended up happening was after, you know, the workers decided not to vote for the union, some of the organizers end up filing a complaint with the National Relations Board. And basically they were, Amazon was just given a slap on the wrist. They were asked to just hang flyers up around the facility saying that they would not threaten their rights again. Uh, but what ended up happening afterwards, six months later, as the head organizer for that particular union attempt was fired while on medical leave. And so let's now talk about this current situation. These workers down in Alabama, they have seen the unionization efforts that have happened in other parts of the country, including the one in Chester, Virginia. And a lot of them are scared. You know, during several interviews that I uh, watched in order to do this episode, a lot of them are scared for their jobs. They're scared that they might not, you know, like have a place to work. You know, if Amazon kind of treats them the way that they threaten some of the other people who tried to unionize in the past. And, you know, it sounds like they might have a right to fear that, well, to, to feel that fear. Because after, you know, these workers down in Bessemer, Alabama decided to try to, you know, uh, start this unionization effort, Amazon immediately tried to like crack down on them. 
they required workers to go to mandatory anti-union meetings, which again, should be illegal. And then they went and actually hired a consultant and paid this consultant $3,200 a day to track the unionization effort in and around the plant and to thwart it as best as possible. They even went as far, and get this, this is, this is a ridiculous thing that I'm about to tell you here. There is a particular, like there's a, there's a giant, you know, parking garage that a lot of these workers, you know, like park their cars in. And one of the exits to this parking garage leads to a traffic light. Now, the traffic light, you know, typically was a place where certain worker, certain like workers who were trying to organize this union, uh, this unionization effort would, you know, they would talk to other employees at the plant while they were stopped at this red light in order to kind of give them more information about the unionization effort and what other people in this, you know, at this plant needed to know at this warehouse. And so when Amazon caught wind of this, they actually went to the city of Bessemer, Alabama and asked them to change that traffic light to put a sensor on it so that whenever a car would come to that light, it would immediately turn green, therefore to stop any of those union organizers from potentially talking to their other employees. As if that isn't <laughs> absolutely, I, honestly, I can't even wrap my head around just like the lengths that Amazon's willing to go to keep this one plant from unionizing. But it, it wasn't just stopping there. Supervisors also told workers that if they voted to unionize, Amazon would shut down this plant. But even through all of this bullying, harassment, you know, threats, the workers still were able to get to the point where they could organize this vote. And Amazon tried to delay and delay the vote itself. They tried to do every single legal tactic they could to offset the votes. They even tried to have the vote be in person only. Even during the pandemic, they seemed to not care whatsoever about the fact that they'd be putting people at risk by having this vote be completely in person. Thankfully, the workers were able to get around that and give uh, workers the option to do mail-in ballots if they chose to. And unfortunately, this isn't the only time that Amazon has ignored the pandemic at the cost of their own workers. In fact, they're currently being sued by New York State Attorney General uh, for failing to protect workers in their facilities during the pandemic. And so let's just really just cut to the chase here. What are these workers asking for? And so kind of just tying back to what we were just referring to, the first thing that these workers are asking for is just stronger COVID safety measures. You know, the, apparently the working conditions in these warehouses uh, just was not safe, you know, according to just social distancing and as far as like what they were being asked to do on a day in and day out basis. And also they were talking about the fact that they needed relief from impossible, impossibly high productivity standards. And this is really kind of like the whole like crux of this argument is because what Amazon's requiring their workers to do, not just in this warehouse, but in warehouses all over the country is absolutely insane. 
I, I know that we all kind of like use Amazon. We think this is like some amazing surface. Oh, you know, like two day delivery. This is fantastic. I'm so glad that I can get anything I want so quickly. We never really stop. I, I know I personally, you know, we don't really stop as people and ask ourselves, how is Amazon getting these things done so fast? Like how are, you know, like how is this company able to do the things that they're able to do at this efficient level that they're able to do it? Let's take a look and see what exactly Amazon is requiring of these workers inside these plants. So the first thing that you have to know about what Amazon is asking people to do in these warehouses is that every single moment that these people are on the clock, they are being monitored. They are having cameras on them constantly. Every single thing that they do is being tracked. Some of them have to wear you know, like almost like Fitbits kind of like deals to track their steps. Some of them have their heart rates tracked to make sure that they're working hard enough. I'm not exaggerating this. I'm not making this up. Every single second that you are not physically engaged in a work-related activity, it is considered, quote, time off task, okay? And that includes anything you can think of, including going to the bathroom. Going to the bathroom is considered time off task. And after you have acquired two hours of this time off task, you are written up. And now after you acquire six write-ups from Amazon, you're fired. And there are other ways that you can be written up for, not just for having quote unquote time off of tasks, but you know that this has become a, a huge concern for a lot of Amazon workers across the country. In fact, there were reporters that have gone undercover to work in Amazon to kind of like report on these things, you know, like from their like own personal perspective. And I'm sure some of you have heard about the reports of Amazon workers having to pee in bottles because they were afraid to go to the bathroom for fear of retribution from Amazon for writing them up for having too much time off task. So you'd have people basically carrying bottles around with them so that they could just occasionally you know, pee in these bottles so that they wouldn't have to go to the bathroom, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I, I honestly, I can't even wrap my head around that, but it, it's not just that. Amazon also, you know, is, you know, tracking like how many steps you take during like during your shift. And if you're not taking enough steps, if you're not moving around enough, then Amazon will have supervisors approach you and ask you why you're not being productive enough, which can also lead to a write up. Amazon workers are not allowed to talk to each other because it's not considered a, you know, a productivity task. And if you're caught doing so, you can be written up for that. Amazon requires workers to pick and box 300 items an hour. And you guessed it, if they don't, they're written up for it. So these standards can feel a little impossible for a lot of employees. And so a lot of them trying to meet their quotas for what they're supposed to do and staying on task, a lot of them feel the need to run throughout the warehouse just to make sure that they're getting enough stuff done per hour but here's the kicker, they're actually not allowed to run through the warehouse because if they're caught running through the warehouse, you guessed it, you get written up again. And so these standards become absolutely like insurmountable for a lot of people to deal with when it comes to trying to make what they call rate. And so 
the, the most egregious thing that I've heard, I think, while I was doing research for this episode was that even if you, if you call in sick, even if you have a doctor's note, that is a write-up. And unfortunately, like I was saying before, this isn't just happening in Bessemer, Alabama. This is also happening all over the country at Amazon Fulfillment Centers. In fact, I'm going to play you a, a quick clip uh, from PBS Frontline. They sat down with some former workers at a plant in the San, Bernardi San Bernardino area in California. Here's what they had to say about this. Because of the way that Amazon operates, because of the way that they set their rates for productivity, it's a lot harder work physically, but also psychologically. We sat down with a group in San Bernardino who'd recently worked at Amazon. When they first got here, I thought it was exciting. Like for me, I was thinking maybe I could find a, a place where, you know, I'm gonna set roots of, of a good job, you know, move up in, in place. But after being there for a while, I was like, there's no way. It's like, okay, this is where I could probably make a career. But once you work there for a certain amount of time, it's just like, it's just not realistic how they expect you to work. You can't. Like dozens of workers we've spoken to around the country, they say they've struggled to keep up with the rate Amazon expected them to pick and pack items. How realistic are the rates that they're giving you? I mean, what's realistic at all? Not, not realistic? No. There's n absolutely no way to make rate. You know, you got to find little ways to, to cheat it. Because once you hit rate, by the end of the week, they raise it, they bump it up again. Because they start saying, hey, people could, could hit those rates, could hit those numbers. Hey, let's push them a little harder. Every week, it seemed like it was going up. There'll be people that will hear what you all are saying, and they'll say, well, you signed up for physical labor. A job is a job. There were benefits, and they're now investing $700 million to do retraining for other types of jobs. What's the real grievance? What is there to complain about? I actually used to think that way for a while. Whenever I, when I first started, whoever I heard complaints from, I was like, well, it was in the job description, and and you signed up for it. Uh, the part they don't talk about is the safety rules that you have to ignore to make rate. It's not just you go in, okay, and you, you do your job and that's it. So you're in, you're in a weird bind. It's incredibly hard to meet rate while following all the safety procedures. So I think I, I said this before, in my Senate parliamentarian episode about um, how I need to start using more clips and episodes. Uh, I'm definitely a big, a big fan of using clips and episodes. I think that's pretty cool. Not, not what they were discussing, but adding clips into the episode. Anyway, so let's talk about where this is all going now. So since this organization effort, uh, this, I'm sorry, this unionization effort has started in Alabama, just you know, like a couple months ago, um, an additional a thousand Amazon workers across the country have sought to unionize uh, because of what they've seen in Alabama. A lot of people are supporting uh, what's going on down there. There have been Amazon workers up in Seattle, famously, who you know have been protesting in front of Amazon's headquarters up there in solidarity with what's been happening down in Alabama, and. I first caught wind of this story, you know, just like a few weeks ago, and I thought that it was an absolutely great story. And 
while it was getting attention, obviously, I, I've just noted a bunch of sources at the beginning of this story, I don't think it's getting enough attention. And that's why I felt the need to bring this to you today. Now, you know, Amazon says that, you know, like one of the reasons it's against unionization is because they're afraid that it'll damage their productivity. Now, let me ask you this. Does Amazon seem like a company that would really be that damaged if their workers actually were just given a little bit more dignity in their workplace, if they didn't have to run around like crazy people all the time in unsafe environments that treated them like less than robots? Amazon is the number one retailer in the world. In the world. Jeff Bezos, their founder, is the richest man in the world. In fact, not only is he the richest man in the world, his wealth increased $70 billion in 2020 alone. It's hard to wrap your head around what that means. So let me try to paint it for you in this particular light. If he had only $70 billion to his name, only $70 billion, that would make him the 14th richest man in the world. So just having 70 billion alone would make him number 14 in the world. He made that in one year. He's the richest man in the world. His company is a trillion dollar company. If they had to sacrifice a little productivity to give their workers just a little more humanity, I don't think the world's gonna come crashing down. I don't think that people are gonna stop shopping at Amazon if their two-day delivery turned into a three-day delivery to give their workers a little bit more grace. But Amazon tries to counter by saying that they pay all their workers $15 an hour. And you know that's a really great rate in a state like Alabama where their minimum wage is $7.25. And that's a part of the problem here. That is a part of the problem because as we, as I just got done just a few weeks ago doing an episode about the $15 an hour minimum wage, this is a direct, just kind of like result of what happens when we don't have a $15 an hour minimum wage in our country because states like Alabama can keep the minimum wage at $7.25. And when you do that, then workers at, you know, a place like, you know, Bessemer, Alabama's, you know, like Amazon Fulfillment Center, they're scared to death to lose this Amazon job because if they lose this job, who knows what other kind of job they could get in their community? It would probably pay them, you know, like about half, less than half. And that's scary, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is that I'm sure that a lot of these people wouldn't even put up with the conditions that Amazon is putting forth if other like if other companies you know in alabama were required to pay more money but alas here we are and so here's another situation in which the government failing to raise the minimum wage has affected people in ways that you might not have originally have thought and this is a particular case here alabama can exploit the people of this facility because a lot of these people know that they have nowhere else to go if they don't have this amazon job and that's really what this story is all about this is why i'm bringing this story to you today this is about in this is a story about inequality constantly we are talking about the wealth gap in America. We are talking about inequality in America. We are talking about, you know, workers' rights. 
and the difference between, you know, like the bottom of this country and the top 1%, look no further than this particular story, a story that maybe you wouldn't have thought of originally about something that's maybe important to you, you know, about a bunch of Amazon workers in Alabama, but it's, it is stories like this that are just a microcosm of what's happening everywhere in our country. Workers are consistently being bludgeoned by employers who know that they have them at their mercy. And if we don't shine light on these things, if we don't talk about them, if we don't coalesce around people who are trying to fight for more, then these things are only going to continue. The US currently has the lowest amount of unionized workers since the Great Depression. And if you look at the map between the amount of income going to the top 10% in this country and the amount of unionized workers in this country, it's a direct split. As the income goes up, unionization rates go down because they have less and less people to fight for them on their behalf. And so what can we do? Because isn't that always the question when we're having these conversations, like what can I, the average person, do to help these people? Well, the first thing you can do is lend your voice. Because while it may seem a little lame sometimes to share things on social media, these things really do matter. They really do. I act, you know, like I mistakenly have, you know, in myself, my personal life have made fun of, you know, this in the past saying like, oh, you know, people just like to share things online and they think they're, they're actually helping. I was wrong to say that because you actually are helping. It does help when you share information online. Please, as I always say, don't let this episode be your last piece of research on this, um, on this issue. Please go out and do your own research and also feel free to share this episode. As long as we are sharing information about what's going on, it does make a difference. And so today, the day I'm releasing this episode, March 29th, is the final day that those workers down in Alabama actually have to cast their votes for this unionization effort. So by the time you're listening to this, it might already be done as far as the vote is concerned. But whether these workers you know, did vote to become a union or whether they didn't, this won't be the last time that a story like this pops up. And so it's always good to just keep these stories, you know, fresh in your head for the next time that one of these things pops up because workers in this country do deserve better rights and we do not have them largely as a group currently. And so finally, you can help these people by also just, let's all just change our spending habits a little bit. You know, I asked some polls on Instagram in the, over the weekend, you know, do you have an Amazon Prime membership? Do you buy from Amazon once a month or more? And how do you feel about Amazon as a, as a company? And I asked this question because I feel as though a lot of us do buy from Amazon pretty consistently. And it's through that, that this company is able to dictate these terms to these people because they have just unlimited amounts of power because we all just default think of them whenever we think about online shopping. And I realize for a lot of people, some people don't have a choice, maybe for business or for other reasons, they have to shop through Amazon, but let's all try to do what we can to shop through these people less because until they change the working standards of the people that they employ, they frankly don't deserve the amount of business that we are giving them. And with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have my guest for the week. Stay tuned.
Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. This is Independent Thought. I am once again joined by Leah of the Take Up Space podcast. Leah, thanks for coming back on the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. For those who do not know or did not listen to the last episode, uh, Leah has been on the podcast before. I will link that episode down in the episode notes. Our conversation today is actually a two-part conversation. So part one of our, of our conversation is in that prior episode. Go check that out if you haven't already before you come back to this one. Leah, I had to abruptly end the last conversation. I'm sorry about that. You know, try to keep the episodes from getting too long. You know, maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't have, but here we are in part two of the conversation. Thank you for coming back on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. It's it's some good stuff. Yeah, we were talking about just like how, I mean, well, how racism affects a lot of things in our country, but I think, you know, particularly where we left the conversation off was just talking about redlining and then just like you, you know, telling that to, you know, someone who apparently didn't even know that that existed and explaining about how that just like ties into people not knowing how these different parts of systemic racism have occurred in our society. Right. And I, and I, even if I explain redlining or I explain the systemic or and and systematic ways that um, racism have been built into our society as a way to keep certain people in power, um, it's up to individuals to actually affect change. And so just like we were talking about with the people who are um, who stand for the Confederate flag, fight tooth and nail for it, you know, as 
as if the South won, right? Um, when we challenge people's thinking or challenge their beliefs, it's it's very hard to change what anyone, even even if someone were to come and tell me that what I knew from my childhood is not the real story or it's not the full story. And even though it might be difficult for me to hear, it's up to me to either accept it, reject it, or learn to move forward with with that knowledge. And a lot of people, as we see with the protests of the Confederate statues, um, to keep the Confederate statues up or to keep the flags, you know, in place, they these people are just so adamant about either not accepting the full reality or they're just re just rejecting it entirely and just saying you know what it's mine and it shouldn't go anywhere yeah which you know for me again just like just makes absolutely no sense and maybe i don't have that kind of tie to my heritage that other people do mm. where it's just like where someone tells me like hey you know, maybe your great, great, great grandfather wasn't the best person on the planet. You know, I'm not going to sit here and defend that person's honor. I never knew him. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe they weren't the best person on the planet. Maybe they did have some backwards beliefs. Maybe they endure something that we would consider to be, you know, incomprehensible today. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't understand someone's like, well, my grandfather told me that his great grandfather, who he also didn't know was a great person. So I believe my grandfather. So I have to believe this. It's just like, I, I personally can't follow that logic, you know? Yeah. Some people I, I love the story. They love the story. Like, no, like if you think about the story of your mom, right. Um, and I'll, and I'll use my mom for an example. So I think of the story that I tell myself about my mom especially the story but then i also think about the story that um that my mom's best friend who's known my mom for years like before us you know and and who and who she was um the people who know my mom when she was a kid you know her siblings and those stories can be vastly different but that doesn't change that the story that i know is different it just means that i don't have the whole story so um, there was a Facebook message. I mean, there was a Facebook post um, where there was a Facebook post where somebody on Facebook um, tried to check my mom. Yeah. And I was just a whole, like, it was, it was a phone call with me and all my siblings. And we were, we were talking about whether or not we should come at this lady or I don't know what we thought we were about to do because this is obviously grown folks business, but she, uh, but my mom is not the kind of person to exchange words like that on social media, or I mean, in person, if she, if my mom's a very strong person, I don't have to worry about her ever having to defend herself, because she, she does that very well, um, but this person may have a different understanding of who she is based on interactions or lack thereof of who my mom is, but that doesn't change that doesn't change what i know it just i just know that oh there could be more to the story or this person may have their facts wrong either way i think that people who support these flags or these ideologies or these beliefs or whatever should be in a space to be okay with it being challenged yes and if it's challenged in a way that makes you think 
then obviously the challenge is working. Not that we're telling you that it's wrong, but to understand and reconcile the full story. Because along with that Confederate flag comes, comes with um, comes with the promises at the end, that happened at the end of at the end of the enslavement period, right? And if you believe in the flag, then you believe that those promises should also be fulfilled, right? And if those promises should be fulfilled, go ahead and lay me lay me up with my forty acres and a mule so I can be good to go. If you're gonna believe, <laughs> if you're gonna believe part, believe the whole thing. Don't just believe. Don't just believe a piece of it just because it sounds good. Explain that really quick, because I don't think that that's, you know, as common knowledge as, you know, we would all think that it would be. So (laughs) there, people talk about reparations all the time. And reparations is simply repaying, um, not necessarily a debt, but repaying a wrong that was done. For instance, there was a bill, um, they proposed it about maybe 20 years ago for the persons who were um, arrested wrongfully and put into the Japanese internment camps during World War II. Two. World yes. War II. Um, so there were reparations that were paid um, for them and their families. There were also reparations that were paid, um, and sorry, not, not just reparations, but in the reparations that were given to the indigenous people, uh, where they don't have to pay for um, where they where they don't have to pay for um, college tuition and there were some other things that they got um, but they were also like pretty much put on these reservations and people think oh well you have a piece of land but the government is like now impeding on that land and saying that they don't have um, a lot of them a lot of the groups don't have uh, certain rights um, the reparations for black people after they had been enslaved for so long and they're realizing hey maybe we shouldn't enslave them like this but it's mostly just to win the war um they said that oh we'll give you 40 acres and a mule and obviously that never came so reparations have been a thing that we've talked about for generations but as far as us ever seeing it and there it was proposed multiple times in Congress, just like a whole lot of other things, but the U.S., like many other things amongst Black people, have never made their promises good on that. So, no, we have not received our 40 acres and a mule. But if you believe that the that the Confederacy is the best thing ever and all that, um, you should give me my 40 acres and a mule. <laughs> and I'll and just leave me alone. And I, we'll be fine. We'll call it square. You keep your flag. I keep my land. Call it square. We're good. Yeah, it, it's it is definitely something that I don't understand personally. But you know, kind of just I'm gonna let that topic just breathe for now because <laughs> I I've ranted about it just so many times before. I, I think the thing that was the dumbest. I'm I'm sorry. Maybe I'm gonna have to stick on it for one more second. The dumbest thing about it. <laughs> And then I promise I'm going to switch subjects is I couldn't get over the arguments. Uh, well, for one, you know, side note that President Trump, you know, a few months back, uh, because, you know, this episode will be coming out much later than we're recording it. But a few months back, uh, President Trump had refused to sign a bill into law because he didn't like the fact that in the bill they were going to be renaming 
uh, military bases that were named after <sighs> veteran generals. So he refused to sign a bill for that reason. Well, that was one of two reasons he cited. But then on top of that, I also can't get over people who are like, well, we can't take down our history because, you know, if, if those statues aren't up, then how are we going to know our history? And I, I, I lost it when I heard that. I legitimately lost my mind when I heard that. I was like, how are we going to know our history without statues? Oh my God. How will we know our history without statues? This is an, I, I can't take that conversation seriously. I, I really People are can't. parents. People <laughs> are parents. Like somebody, somebody said that and then like 15 other people echoed it. And now it's like one of the staple arguments that are made. And it's like, you know the internet exists right you have it in your pocket it's just it makes no like, sense to me whatsoever what do you like what do you you don't know your history there are books right i just i got nothing for that also it's just like do you see like you know statues of all of the you know like old british kings all over america do right. we their statues to remind ourselves what you know how america wanted <laughs> independence I mean, oh man, I just I don't know. Like, like how far does this go? I mean, like, do you need like a statue of a flood to know that the Earth flooded at one point? I mean, like, listen, I, I just I, how I, I, how I, weird would it be if when you went to New Orleans, there was like a Katrina statue? Yes, right. Like how how that's how silly this whole statue thing is. Because, and I can understand at one point you wanted to reclaim some piece of semblance like, oh, snap, we didn't actually lose. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as what they're making it sound. The South is still the greatest. And you can tell whatever story, like people love stories. Tell yourself whatever story it is, but to just take up land space to say that we need a statue to show this individual when a lot of these people would spit in the faces of some of the most prominent people of color and black people who are currently in power. They wouldn't, a lot of those statues are not of people who respect the current states of the United States of America. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times when I'm listening to people, you know, who are mostly on the right talk about this issue, another thing that seems to come up a lot is you know it's like oh well where does this end are we gonna rename you know all of the things that you know were named after people like you know andrew jackson or thomas jefferson or or so on and so forth are we gonna you know take george washington off of our currency it's just like well, where does it end it's like i don't know i don't i don't i don't know like like what do you as i don't understand what somebody wants in that particular position is like are you trying to say that we shouldn't change anything because we can't change everything is yes that, is that the argument yes here? it's the it's the whataboutism argument and i and i don't know if we talked about it here or not but um a lot of times we get wrapped up into these conversations because you want to use logic and there is no logical way to think about when someone has a childhood or emo to tell someone who has a security blanket not to take that blanket with him tell someone who uh, always carries a lucky rabbit's foot in their pocket that they can't they can't have pockets anymore 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't use logic when you're talking to people who have an emotional attack. Like, that person who broke up with their significant other for the fifth time this week, tell them to actually go their separate ways and never see that person ever again. You cannot use logic when people are emotionally attached to something. They will use these whataboutism arguments and say that, you know, uh, or or they'll take it, they'll swing the pendulum to the complete other way. Like the rappers who were saying, uh, like when people were saying, listen, women don't have to be naked in your music videos. And some of the rappers would say, oh, so you want them to dress in nun uniforms? That, yeah, it's just going to the opposite extreme, basically. No, just there's there's a there's such a spectrum between being naked and fully dressed. Like there's so many things in between. What are you talking about here? Right. So I think that when you realize that you can't when you when you realize that logic or like what what I realize my thing is when I cannot get an understanding. And people just, well, what about this? What? And I find myself just, you know what? I am not exhausting all of my energy talking to you. So. Yeah. I, I think for me, this comes down to not even just logic. This comes down to power. You know, because this is a power like paradigm, in my opinion. This yeah. is, there are people in this country, just even, we can even include, you know, your example just now, just rap artists. Like, it's just, there are people in this country who have had, you know, levels of power and influence over other people for so long. Mm -hmm. And they're not used to being checked in any sort of way. They're used to being able to do what they want and telling everyone else just to get over it. And now there's so many people in the age of social media who are like, hey, I have a voice now. My voice can carry a lot further than it's ever been able to in human history. And a yeah. bunch of people have all realized that collective power and they're using it to change things that have always pissed a lot of people off. And now the people who are in power are like, oh, wait, 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 you want us to change all of these things? What's wrong with you? You sensitive people, you entitled people, you snowflakes. And it's just like, no, these things have always been a problem. They've always been a problem. They've always needed to be addressed. I'm glad that people are finally using their voices to kind of like come, you know, around these issues and say, hey, these things need to be fixed because it's about damn time, honestly. Yeah. And now, I mean, with, with social media, it's easier than ever to get 10, 15 people to believe what you say. And if we understand, because I think that, huh, the benefit to not having social media or the internet or anything like that you think that your life experience is so unique that no one would understand right <laughs> but yeah. when but time and time again social media has shown us that and i don't know if this happens in other communities so i, I can only talk about black communities in black communities, there's like three or four different styles of comforters that we've all grown up with. There are certain plastic cups that we've always had for hot summer days to fill up with Kool-Aid that we've all used or glasses that we've all had. Um, there are alarm clocks. And I think that there's a, a, somebody did a video on it. Um, that we've all, we'll all recognize and be like, oh yeah, that's mom and dad or that's grandma's clock that we've all had. There's just certain shared experiences that we don't realize that we, that are shared until we got on social media and start reminiscing. So when you have people 
who talk about um like i can't remember anita hill i think it was anita hill when she had to stand by herself and say yeah he did this and other women were like uh i want to speak up but i can't speak up but then we get then now we have social media me too me too me too it happened to me too like this was my experience it happened to me too i can corroborate it like it happened to me too and where people are no longer feeling like they're by themselves in a situation like you know whether you are whether you have been assaulted whether you have been bullied whether you had um a bad experience with an ex one of the trends that i see now is uh women going into or visiting the guy's house and taking like video of his room like going on live and saying hey guys does anybody recognize this room i just want to make sure that nobody else has been in here what yes really yes and some and then there'll be like four women who's like oh yeah that's so-and-so's how do you know i'm at so-and-so's house i've been in that room i recognize that i recognize that clock oh okay that's kind of weird. I'm not going to yeah, lie. It's, I'm just saying, shared experiences. So now that people's voices are amplified on social media, you have other people who are agreeing. I think the biggest thing is the sympathizers. When sympathizers say, look, this person's experience is valid and it needs to be addressed. And then you have people with money who are like, look, I'm going to stop funding you. Like they did that with uh, Brett Ratner. They did that with Harvey Weinstein that whole r kelly thing took way too long like yes he'd been telling us for years he was a mess yeah but um so many people who have had those those experiences can now come forward and say look this is a shared experience and then the people in power are like but wait we didn't have to listen to you before no but now you need to make some changes but we don't want to make changes and it's just like you said it's a power grab of just like well I am able to exercise my power in this way as my privilege and you're ruining that for me. And, you know, I think that that is just a great thing in general. I think that it's great that we are now living at a time where we can use our voices as an instrument of power, where before we just all felt, I mean, you, you feel as if you have no power when you know that there's something wrong and you feel like you don't have any avenue whatsoever to change it. And I right. feel like that's been the case for so many people throughout human existence. And I feel like this is like the first moment in time where a lot of people have been able to think like, oh, I still may not have that much power, but I have some. I can get into the conversation. And if enough of us get into this conversation, real change can happen and that has been happening there's also a darker side of that um which i I feel like might have to come up in a different conversation on a different day but you know i just want to end the conversation today with just saying this you know like as you know we've been talking about all these different important issues today you know there are lots of people out there who just don't see it the way that we see it they don't they don't see the the plight of people who look different than them you know believe different than them so on and so forth you know as someone who's had to grow up dealing with all of this nonsense you know for those people out there who still don't believe that like racism really is an issue like what or that it's not as big of an issue as 
black people are making it out to be. What would you say to those people? Um, typically, those people wouldn't listen to a podcast that is about thought-provoking um, consequent conversations or um, learning how to challenge your own beliefs to understand more than just what they see in their life. You never know. Um, so <laughs> if they happen to tune in, if they happen to tune in, because I feel like your listeners are more open-minded to, to be understanding that everybody's not an idiot. You're not the only person in the world who has like good cognitive, cognitive function, but there are people who think very differently. So if a person um, who's open and my open-minded enough to listen to your podcast, I would say that they would need to expand um, in that area just a bit more to not listen to respond when they are in conversation with other people who don't look like them, who may tell you that their experiences are different than yours, um, but to listen for an understanding. Like your job is not to be Captain Sabaho. Your job is not to try to swoop in and fix whatever it is, but get an understanding and use your platform to help them elevate their voice in a positive way. Um, it's it's as, simple as, it's as simple as having a conversation. You don't need to tell me that your life has been oh so great, oh so perfect, oh so this, oh so that, because you've had access to everything. I can clearly see because of where you live, where you work and what you do that you can go, you know, rent a yacht every weekend to go do whatever, or you spend, you know, the winters in Florida because it's warmer and then you travel back to back North or whatever during the regular season. You know, you don't have to tell me your life is great. Like not many people have that privilege, but my honest advice is just to be willing to listen rather than listen to respond when you hear about the different experiences other people who don't look like you are having in the same country that you live in. It's perfect. Perfect. It's almost like you had that prepared, which I know you didn't because I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, gen that's gen generally what I would want. And, and I think that a lot of people don't want to, they want to either fix it or dismiss it. And it makes it hard because I'm not even looking to fix it. I just want to, maybe I just want to talk to you and say, hey, you know, how how are you coping with like life after all these protests? You know, how are you dealing with, you know, being a black man in America? You know, how are you dealing with, you know, um, even in dating or even in career or, you know, going to school or whatever the case may be? how do you navigate through these certain things? What are some pitfalls that you've been able to avoid? And just learning to understand where you're coming from may, may not be able to necessarily help me, but if I talk to someone else, I may be able to offer them some advice that I heard from you. There it is. All right, everyone. The, podca the podcast is called Take, uh, 
Take Up Space podcast. Uh, Leah, before we end this episode, please tell everyone again where they can find you at. Definitely follow me on all social media. Uh, Take Up Space Pod. That's Take Up Space P-O-D on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are now on Clubhouse. Um, if you have an iPhone and you have been invited to this exclusive kind of party uh, that happens on Clubhouse where we have multiple conversations with people from um, around the country and around the world uh, about life and how to better navigate this, uh, follow us there too. We're at Take a Space Pod, Take a Space POD on all social media and we drop episodes every Tuesday. So, yeah. All right. If you haven't already, definitely go subscribe. Leave a five-star review. That is the thing to do. Yay. Leah, thank you again for coming on. And for everyone else, uh, we're going to take one last break, and I'll be right back with my final thoughts of the day. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. Firstly, you know, as we're kind of winding down this episode, I want to take a moment to thank my 19 patrons. All 19 of you are thoroughly appreciated. You know who you are, all 19 of my members of my Patreon. If you are interested in becoming a member of my Patreon, there is a link in the episode notes below. I also want to thank everyone who has listened to the first 12 episodes of season three. If you have not already, please feel free to go back and listen to the first 12. We've had some great episodes this season, as well as some phenomenal guests. And all of the information for my guests will be linked in those episode notes below those particular episodes. Now, I want to spe give a special like shout out and thank you to my um, guest Leah, who was on not only this episode, but also last episode. So if you have not already, please go back to my last episode, which is called, um, you know, Should We Cancel Student Debt? And Leah was my guest in the, in the guest segment of that episode as well. So this was more or less a two-part conversation. Her and I always have great conversations whenever we meet up. In fact, here is a fun little tidbit for those of you who might be interested. Uh, well, first of all, definitely go check out her podcast. Subscribe, please. She has a phenomenal podcast, Take Up Space. Uh, but also, for those of you who may be curious about what I look like, and I normally wouldn't put this information out there because I don't share my face with anyone, typically. As you, If you follow me on social media, you'll notice that the you know, the absence of my face is, you know, all over the place. I don't post myself on independent thought. But if you're interested in what it is that I look like, and you've made it to this point in the episode, uh, then I'll tell you that if you go to Leah's podcast, the couple times I've been on her show, uh, there is video evidence of it, I believe, on her YouTube channel. So if you want to know what I look like, there is a way to find out by going to Leah's podcast and checking out the episodes where I was on her podcast. I think the most recent one was called um, Holding Your Government Accountable, I believe is the name of that episode. Now, as far as what's coming next for this podcast is concerned, the next two episodes will be strictly about 
um, Missoula, Montana politics. So as a resident of Missoula, Montana, I felt that it was important to me to get some episodes about uh, my local community, about politics happening in my local area. I understand that not everyone who listens to my podcast lives in Montana, let alone Missoula. Uh, so if you are you know, not interested in the next two episodes, I will understand, but I encourage you to listen anyway, because the issues that these candidates will be talking about, I do believe are issues that are relevant all over our country, not just in Missoula. So the next two episodes coming April 5th and April 12th will be local candidates who are running for offices here in Missoula, Montana. On April 5th, I will release the episode where I interviewed Jacob Elder, who is running for the mayor of Missoula, Montana. And on April 12th, I will be releasing the episode where I interviewed Daniel Carlino, who is running for city council in Missoula in Ward 3. So definitely be on the lookout for those two episodes. Uh, if you're not already, please subscribe so you don't miss them, as well as bonus episodes that I'll be having coming up shortly uh, this week and in following weeks. I meant to get a bonus episode out this past week. A couple of things kind of got caught up, and so I didn't get a chance to release it, but I will be releasing a bonus episode about what I referenced on Instagram last week. So I'll be referencing kind of what happened in Georgia and the controversy between Cardi B and uh, Candace Owens. I can't believe I'm covering this, but I am. Hopefully it'll be a one-time thing. So as we're closing out this episode, I just want to say that, you know, a lot of important topics were discussed in this episode. And I know that sometimes it's a little like much of a head spin trying to figure out what we as people can do about all the craziness going on in the world. But I will leave you with this quote that I have left you with before, which is the difference between what we do and what we are capable of doing would solve most of the world's problems. Thank you for listening. See you next time.